Hey yo, we about to tear it up. Yo, break for break, break for break, get down. This right here is how we do it. Break it down. It's the Break It Actors podcast. We break things down to the very last compound. My name is Summit, aka the Potty Mouth of the South. And my name is Chris Mitchell, aka the Actual Factual. I'm not gonna say too much, you know. Okay. I'm just going to say this. All right, go ahead. MC8. <laughs> breaking atoms. <laughs> That's it. You know what? I've got to say something, though. Go on. I've always wanted to say this. Wake your punk ass up for the 93 shot. I've always wanted to say that. Let me tell you go something. Ahead. Go ahead. Let me tell you something. This is, as I said on the podcast, both off and on air, this is a certified legend who has, who's got the utmost, he's got the respect of all of his peers and then some. His reach is global, his fans are global, and you know what, he's such a nice guy. And the way in which you can tell how much he loves hip hop. Mm -hmm. That came out. His love for rap comes out, his love for the culture comes out, his love for his peers comes out. And uh, and I didn't realize, I I knew a lot about MCA, but to understand how much he loves the culture, like it just it warms my heart and yeah man I'm I'm really excited about this one. This is a, another bucket list. I didn't th- <laughs> I, I didn't think we'd get MCA. I'm gonna be honest with you. Listen, uh, there's nothing we can't do right now. And um, you know, some people might be saying you're bigging yourselves up too much, but listen, we're we're documenting the culture and capturing history. That's what we do, and we're having fun doing it. Yeah, nah. This is uh, MCA on the Breakouts podcast. Check it out. It's another special episode of the Breaking Atoms podcast. Um, this isn't just special because, you know, we're both fans of, of this gentleman. The gentleman's given us got a lot of great memories over the years. And uh, his, his status, his legendary status doesn't just hit uh, one continent. It hits the whole world. We're talking about one of Compton's most wanted. We're talking about the legendary MCA who joins us on the Breaking Atoms podcast. How you doing, my friend? What's cracking, fam? What's good? How you doing? We're good. How how look? How are things over there, man? Like COVID is crazy out here. They're doing more restrictions. Like how is it? How is it with you? Is everyone all right? I mean, everything's going good over here. You know, we all dealing with this worldwide pandemic. So, um, you know, everything is is moving along slowly but surely. Uh, you know, fortunate. You know, things are trying to get back to a, a you know a little bit of normal. You know, everybody's wearing masks, you know, sanitizing, you know, extra cleaning and that, you know, but we're trying to stay safe. So it's good, you know, getting, staying in the studio and having sports on TV and whatever, even though there's no fans around, it kind of puts it back into a little simplicity, you know what I'm saying? Some little normality. No, definitely, definitely. We we have uh, football or soccer, we call it here, um, <laughs> which is, is, is definitely helping um, but now it, it's crazy times. And as I said off the off the podcast, I'll say it on the podcast. We that that term legend gets banded around, but we've got someone certified him. And we'll get into lessons, but we just want to salute you right off the top. That lessons is an incredible album. Indeed. Go listen to that. Go get that. Um, if you're a fan of MCA and if you're a fan of rap in general, is one to listen to. Um, I guess my first real question is um, around the sound of Compton's Most Wanted. So I was listening to Compton Psycho. There's like so like there's riffs, there's strings, there's synths. How would you describe the sound of Compton's Most Wanted? Uh, Compton's Most Wanted sound is we're kind of different than 
we're kind of different than any other, you know, the typical sound of uh, West Coast artists. Um, back when I hooked up with DJ Slip, man, we wanted to create a different sound. You know, I liked the jazz, you know, synth strings, you know, piano riffs. Um, we didn't want to do the typical NWA sound, you know, Parliament, George Clinton. So we would always search for something different, you know, meters records, or uh, we would listen to Ronnie Jordan records or anything that we could get our hands on to that was a different sound. So I would describe our sound as, as I, I call this uh, uh, like the movie score sound. You know what I'm saying? Like when you're watching one of those good movies and, and, and music fits that certain part of the scene. So that's what I kind of put as far as Compton's Most Wanted in our sound. I always wanted us to be more intense and have that feel of like, man, I'm sitting down watching this movie and then you hear that boom or that soundtrack or that certain feel when a song comes on. So... Our, our, our sound is more dramatic and more suspense, you know, more orchestrated, if you want to say. No, that's, that's well put. That's well put. I think I love, I, I love that description. It's yo, perfect. now that you say that, it puts everything into kind of perspective a little bit, you know. Mm. That's dope. That's dope. So, you're, look, we, I've said it so many times already, but your legendary status is solidified, right? So, you've just dropped lessons, and we'll talk more right. about that later. But what keeps you motivated, eh? What keeps you motivated? Uh, basically, because uh, I just love hip hop. You feel me? Uh, it's not about dollars and cents. It's not about status as far as hip hop is concerned to me. It's just about the love that I have for hip hop that I had from way, way back when I first started. So that's where it comes from first. You have to have a love for the music to want to be able to generate and put out quality music without you know like i said everybody want to get paid for what they do you know what i'm saying but you got to have a love for something first and even if i was doing something else in this lifetime or whatever i think just the love i have for music is what keeps me going and knowing that the fans are there that appreciate the music that we can still you know uh come up with or construct you know just on that aspect of just having the fans who tell me that you know they want to hear uh mc8 or Compton's most want to still put out quality music so that's what keeps me going really having a love for hip-hop and the fans that appreciate it one thing about you that i love in particular is you one of the mcs that i noticed got a lot of bi-coastal love but you were still very west coast when did you first realize that you were getting love not only at home, but Midwest and East Coast and even abroad? Um, I guess that just came with the, my trying to uh, have a connection with different artists in different coasts. You know, I've been knowing Scarface for since my career started. Uh, I knew Guru and Premier, you know, shout out to Primo. I've been knowing them since my career first started you know so to speak so um i think just having that love and being able to connect with different artists you know what i'm saying i've done songs with pete rock with premiere i've done songs with scarface down to you know uh, uh on the new project you know so i think just being able to appreciate music from all coasts 
and being able to accept and adapt to all different kind of music because when you listen to a Compton's Most Wanted record or MC8 record, it just don't feel like, I mean, maybe in the speech or the lyrical content, but I try to take you away from just being West Coast typical. So I think having that and having respect for other artists and other territories, never getting into none of that beef and bi-coastal shit, that allowed me to get the respect from both coasts and being able to adapt and adjust to other artists, you know what I'm saying? So I think that's what kept me going and get, and, and had me accepted by both parts of, you know, hip hop. So I, I think like, that's a really interesting point because I think about uh, the title track music to the drive by and we hear all those shout outs at, at the end of the album. And I thought for me, it was like the first time I heard that, but also it's a testament to all the, also highlights to all the relationships you built the names you mentioned, all this bit like, it was the first time I heard that. And I know it's been done later, but like, for me, it was like the first time where you heard all these names on, on, the, end of a, on, a, on the end of an album. So it's really, really right. crazy. What do you remember about making that album music to drive by? Uh, basically, um, with music to drive by, um, we had just came off of the straight checking them album. I just did the uh, title uh, track for... Uh, the Boys in the Hood movie. Um, I had just got the role uh, for Minister Society. So with doing music to drive by, it was the first project that I had basically a lot of control as far as music, what I wanted to rap to, uh, what I wanted to create. So with them putting music to drive by together, it just gave me the freedom to experiment with all types of sounds and different music because uh, previous projects, you know, you had to go according to plan of whatever was set out. But uh, in Music to Drive By gave me more control over the project. So I was able to bring in different producers and experiment with more of the sound that I, you know, that I basically was Compton's most wanted foundational sound. You know, that that heart, that, that strings and chords and all that, you know, I've always been into that. So Music to Drive By was, was my first chance of, of expression of freedom from the record label and being able to control whatever I rap to and what was produced on my record. So that was my first time of being executive producer and being able to sit at the table with the corporate dudes at Sony and show them my vision. So that's why Music to Drive By was real. You know, it's was, it was like an a orchestrated masterpiece. Yeah. And it's not the typical, it's not your typical West Coast record. No, definitely, definitely, definitely. Um, I've got the cassette here for uh, We Come Strapped. So this is the, probably the first eight album I bought. Um, there's a name that recurs on it, and, and his resume is crazy, but Willie Z is all over this record. How did you guys connect? Because his, his resume is nuts. I had no idea. Oh, yeah, yeah. Willie Z is, is extensive. Man, he, he's played for some about everybody. Um, I bet Willie Z back in the days i think uh getting uh when we were putting together uh we come str um straight checking them is how we met willie z he was a studio musician and uh he knew uh, uh this cat unknown that used to produce some records for us and um uh, he came in the studio and uh he played on a couple of records and um, we brought him in on music to drive by when I had more control. He played on hood rats and 
use a bitch and all those records. So when we, when I got control of do we come strapped, he was the first person I thought of because I knew what I wanted to hear as far as replaying everything. You know, I didn't want to just go to samples and all that. I right. felt that with his knowledge and how he was so gifted, Willie Z played saxophone, he played the keyboards, the guitar, all of that. So we bought him in on We Come Strapped, and basically he played everything on We Come Strapped. Wow. Every bass. Every bass line, every chord, every string, every horn riff, Willie Z did all of that. Can you imagine, like, right nowadays, people are trying to steer away from samples and play things now, but this is back then when you had the vision to go, hey, we don't need, we don't mess in there, we need the samples. We could get someone like Willie Z, a musician, to play everything. Because I see here, like, on the, on the line of notes, he kind of co-arranged it, and that makes sense now, considering what you're, what you're saying, so... Well, that's dope. Uh, it was just, it was a kind of more of a fan question to ask about Willie Z because he's lifting every single song here. So, um, oh, yeah, he, he, he's what you, he's he's a real he's a real musician. Like I said, hats off to Willie Z. He's played some of the best Compton's most wanted songs, MCH songs, you know, uh, his vision. Like Willie Z was the type of person that you can just hum a line to him and an hour later you come back and he's constructed this whole masterpiece just out of what you hum to him, you know? So that's oh. what you call somebody who's gifted. So shout out to Willie Z. Oh. You mentioned, you know, we have to talk about this. Uh, when you got the role in Menace to Society, um, that movie still scares me to death, by the way. Um, straight up Menace. <laughs> I'm going to get in my music theory bag. That song, to me, is a masterpiece in terms of music juxtaposition. And what I mean is, the production, to me, is really jazzy and it's really musical. But your lyrics are quite sparse and very confrontational. How did that song come together and was that the intention when you were creating the song? It's, all my, it's, all, it's always my intention to grab the audience in a way that's, you know, uh, graphic. Uh, dramatical um, coming up with straight up menace um, basically was just dealing with what a lot of I had seen growing up you know what I had lived through as far as uh, gangs and all that situation so it just fit the perfect scenario and being a part of the movie being able to have a character in the movie it just gave me a first-hand look on what they were putting together, what I had lived, what I had seen other people live. So with the music, like I said, we were always, as far as me and DJ Slip concerned, we always had the vision to take music to a different level of just your typical West Coast gangster rap artist, so to speak. Um, so we would never go for the typical sound. You know, everybody was using Parliament, George Clinton, uh, whatever, you know. So we played a lot of stuff. So it was just a vision of sitting down and watching the movie, you know, taking my script, reading the script, and putting that into what I had lived, you know, as far as the youth is concerned, what I had went through, what I had seen in the streets and the ghettos. And so when it was time to produce the song, um, we just started playing around with different bass lines. And then again, it was a movie soundtrack. 
And that was always my vision when I thought of Compton's Most Wanted records. We making movie soundtracks right here. Mm. We want our, you know, so we brought in Willie Z and uh, we kicked around the bass line. I think I hummed the bass line to Willie Z. Uh, Slip came up with the drum track. And then from there, um, the pianos and the strings and Slip came up with the different arrangements of how to take it from holding the strings long to letting them go short. I mean, we always created like that. It was always a part of us to be real dramatic when we produced our music because we wanted to do something different than what every other rap artist was doing. Mm, that's, it's really insightful hearing you say that because now you, you mentioned music to drive by and Compton's most wanted music is very cinematic and like a movie score. So making that transition to do a song for a movie was pretty seamless for you. Now that, that's, that's, that's really cool. Um, Definitely. I'm the same as Summit. We Come Strapped is the first MCA album I bought. So I had to go back and do my homework. But I noticed on the front, it said featuring Compton's most wanted. I connected the dots to say, okay, so that was, that was the group that, that he was in. What were the discussions and how did it come about to, to have you as the top biller? On, on the on the album and have it as featuring Compton's most wanted. And did it did it well, affect putting the album together? Like what were the changes? Well basically really it came down from you know Sony thought that that would be a way to try to start off my solo career apart from Compton's Most Wanted, because my first three albums were Compton's Most Wanted as a group. But then once I did the role in Minister Society, and a lot of my stuff started being about MC8 because of the role and not about Compton's Most Wanted, you know, it was just a thing that the record company figured that they could capitalize on and break away from the Compton's Most Wanted aspect, you know, because that would scare some, a lot of people at the time, NWA, Compton's Most Wanted. So the record company looked at it as, an, as, as a transition from taking eight out of the Compton's Most Wanted seeing that he is the main uh, uh, component of CMW. You know, he's the lead vocalist, he's the lead rapper, whatever. So it was just something they thought of. So it was the MC8 featuring CMW tag so that the next project could be MC8 and so on and so on. So that's how they figured that they would transition that to try to get over to the softer side of everything and okay. not scare a lot of people, you know what I'm saying? Because a lot of people were intimidated by Compton's Most Wanted. Gotcha. All right. Makes sense. Makes sense. Let's move over to some of your collaborations. One of my favorites from you is Throw Your Set in the Air, the remix with Cypress Hill. Um, I love posse cuts. I love them. I love them. And it's almost like, I don't know if you're a wrestling guy, but I grew up watching like Survivor Series and when you have all those random matchups that you'll never see mm -hmm. again. And that song reminds me of that. Can you tell me anything about the studio session and the video shoot? Any, any particular memories of hooking up with like all those guys that day? Um, I was always fans of Be Real, Cypress Hill, um, since they first came out. Um, I grew up listening to EPMD, you know what I'm saying? Uh, Red Man was on my We Come Strapped album. That's right. So I already had a relationship with Red and Eric. Um, uh, Be Real, you know, I didn't really know them at the time, but like I said, I was still a fan of their music. 
and uh, they called me up. Uh, basically, mugs. You know, I was a fan of mugs from way back in the days, from the seven, eight, three days. You know, wow. so um, just being fans of dudes, man. You know, is is how projects come about like that. You know, having a mutual love and respect for other artists. Like I said, I knew Eric and Red and uh, always loved Mud stuff. Cypress Hill was really cracking. So when they called me up and asked me to get on the song, it was no question. I'm, at that time, I knew the significance of, you know, being, uh, being asked to be on a record like that, you know, featuring Eric Sermon and Red Man and, and Be Real. I mean, it was a no-brainer for me. Uh, I always feel that uh, showing love and extending a hand in hip-hop is how we able to keep the love for hip-hop going, so to speak, you know. Mm -hmm. it, 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 it squashes a lot of animosity and it shows the fans and the public that, you know, collaborations are needed, you know. It, it's always cool to get down with one of your partners or your people, you know what I'm saying? So being in the studio was good, working with Mugs and Be Real, just being able to be in that, you know, that setting, uh, being around greats, people that you know, you know, have put their heart and soul in that this hip hop thing. So it's always fun for me to collaborate and do stuff like that. Yeah, um, I love the video. I, 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 you're one of those names that was so early in my hip hop initiation. So it's yourself, um, Souls of Mischief, all these types of guys from the Bay Area, E40. Um, and Wu-Tang. So I want to talk about Wu-Tang and you showing up in the Can It Be Also Simple video. Um, Wu-Tang, very insular and very self-contained. So there right. weren't a lot of outsiders around them in the videos collaborating. But once again, you were welcome. How did that come about? Um, I, I was fucking with Old Dirty Bastard. Um, and... Uh, just being one of those dudes who, again, was looked at as a true, you know, pioneer for West Coast hip hop. What I was doing at the time as far as with Minister Society and uh, We Come Strapped and Music to Drive By and always sticking to the same format, never straying, you know, having that loyalty, uh, people seeing me hang out in New York with dudes like Primo, uh, you know, Buster Rhymes and Tretch, and, you know, dudes I knew in my early career. And uh, that just gave me, you know, like I said, it just gave the respect. And, you know, Wu-Tang was some dudes that I knew, you know, who were on Loud Records. You know, I knew the alcoholics and all them other cats from Loud and from whatever. So I, I just had general respect for them. They called me up and asked me would I come to New York and get in a video. And I was like, hell yeah, let's do it. So I flew to New York. I mean, me and Method was always cool. Raekwon, uh, Ghostface. I mean, everybody was in mean, love. It just it was just love that day, man. You know what I'm saying? And it's just, it, was, it was just out of respect for them loving what I was doing, representing where I was coming from. They was doing the same thing. We was just all young cats trying to get in and eat and mm. represent where we was from. So mm. I think the respect of doing that and them knowing where I came from and them coming from similar situations, it just connected like that, you know? So shout out to Wu-Tang, Wu-Tang Clan and RZA. And like I said, Matthew, rest in peace, old dirty. Gen genuine friends is what you get. 
out of that. You feel me? Yeah. It's, it, I just smile, man. Just like, imagine just getting on a plane, flying to New York to just be in a video with Wu-Tang. You know, it's just, this is dope. I love the, I love these stories. So, man, over I to mean, you. I, I was, I, I loved it. I respect, man. That was, I mean, you, it was big for me. Because I'm like, man, Wu-Tang Clan? Definitely, man. Put me on a plane right now. So, <laughs> it was, it was no brainer, man. And it, it, it just shows a good look. And it shows that you it shows the unity, you know, me coming from yeah. the West Coast Compton. Next thing you know, I'm standing next to Method Man and Raekwon and them in a Wu Tang video and you know, they about, but it's about the same life, man. It's about young cats in the struggle. They came from the projects of, from Staten Island. I came from Compton, from the block. So it's the sort of same struggle that we all talking about in our rap songs. Mm-hmm. And it makes you connect with dudes overseas over in you know, over different coasts wherever because people go through the same type of things when they growing up as young men we all type of go through things if we living in that poverty type of situation you know what i'm saying so it's just the connection we had mm, yeah. um, you mentioned them uh, you mentioned both of them earlier uh, rest in peace to to guru uh, and dj Pomer you mentioned as well how did you meet them because i remember reading from that you met them very very early in your career what are some of your like early memories of meeting guru and Pramir? Um, we used to do promo tours a lot, uh, back in our days, labels used to send you on promo tours across the country to promote your records. So you go to different regions, you know, Chicago, Cleveland, Dallas, Florida, wherever, wherever they had a major label set up at, you go there, you tour, you promo tour, you do a couple of club gigs, you know, you go to, you go to about 15, 20 different record stores, sign autographs. That's what we did back in the days. Uh, so a lot of us would have records out at the same time so you can imagine that the the airports and the record stations and the radio stations were filled with different artists at the time you would bump into different artists coming in and out of radio stations oh y'all on promo tour yeah we are too so you met a lot of dudes like that and uh, I used to bump into them a lot on the road you know different places different sections we started our careers at the same time so we would do a lot of concerts together, you know. Uh, I think my first major concert in L.A. Uh, was with Gangstar. Uh, that's how we met. Uh, we connected from then. Uh, anytime I would get a tour, go on tour, uh, Chicago, Atlanta, who's on the tour? Gangstar. Or they doing a show in town that day. Right. Or I'd be doing a show in Dallas across town gang stars doing the show so we hooked up like that and then anytime i would go to new york on business with the label who do i call let me call primo primo come through smoke you out pick you up <laughs> take you, you know so that's how we connected and we've been doing that man for over the 20 years of my hip-hop career so he's one of the dudes that i consider Outside of rap music, he's a true friend. Him and Scarface is two dudes that I can pick up the phone and call with no issue just to say, hey, what's up? How you doing today? And with no problem. So you build those relationships over the years with dudes. Like I said, first, I was a fan of both of those. So rest in peace to Guru. I love me some Gangstar. Listen to all their albums. There wasn't an album I didn't miss. So 
I was a true fan before I even met them. You feel me? When they had out Manifest, their first little song on Wild Pitch, I was fans of them. So just having that from the get-go, just being a fan myself and then being able to connect with dude. And then, you know, you look down the road, he's one of the most prolific producers we'll ever have in hip hop. Uh, yeah. You know, shout out Primo. So yeah. Yeah. it's no, good, I, to have him, good to have them connections. No, definitely. I, I always say um, we had an OC from DITC a few weeks ago. And I said to him that Primo is how I, if I ever want someone to say, how do you want hip hop to sound? I always think of Premier is my go-to. Right because of his drums and, and hip hop and, and the kind of hip hop that I've grown, grown up with and I guess I could probably say the same for Chris is, is it starts with the drums. And so Primo is the first person I think of when I think about how would I want hip hop to sound. Um, so yeah, we, we, we love Prem. Um, another producer, you mentioned him again earlier, which is really interesting is uh, Pete Rock. How did One Life to Live come about? Knowing um, Primo. Oh, was it? It was Supreme. Knowing Primo and like I said again, just having a connection with East Coast dudes, you know, seeing, you know, me getting down with Redman, me getting down with Eric Sermon, you know, uh, Primo used to remix a lot of my records over at Epic. So just having that connection with a lot of East Coast dudes and doing a lot of interviews and telling people, you know, I listen to Pete Rock and Seal Smooth. I listen to Gangstar and blah, blah, blah. So from that, you know, Pete Rock hit me up, A8, you know, being I'm doing this project, you know, and I was like, oh, definitely. Like I say again, I was a fan, you know, uh, I was a fan of them. Straighten it out, Mecca and the Soul Brother, uh, uh, they reminisce over you. You know, I'm a true fan of hip hop. So when dudes like that call me, it's a no brainer. I was like, hell yeah, Pete Rock, man, if please. <laughs> so that that's what I do, man. You know what I'm saying? Especially because, like I said, I'm a kid at heart when it comes to hip-hop. I love some good hip-hop, and I love some original hip-hop. The foundation of hip-hop is what I call it. No disrespect to what's going on today. Get your money, and everybody got to do what they do. But I respect the foundation of hip-hop, you know what I'm saying? The, the before-me time or the dudes that I grew up listening to as a fan. So... Any one of them cats call me, man, I'm on it. I, I don't care who it is. You know, if you from that era, I'm probably going to get down with you if you ask me to get down. Now, it's obviously apparent you're such a fan. And then we, we come to fast forward to lessons. Uh, you got some features on the project. How did you approach the features for lessons? Was it because you were fans of theirs and because you loved, loved the music and you thought, hey, I just want to vibe with you? How did you approach the features on the project? Uh, yeah, basically like that. Uh, paying attention to dudes, you know, I'd been listening to the Griselda camp. I knew about, you know, West Side Gun from years ago. And then I started paying attention to Benny the Butcher and, and Conway. Premier had worked with them on a song called Loyalty last year. So, um, when I saw that, I just, I instantly hit Conway up. I'm like, man, you you get down with Primo, you know Primo. That's one of my dudes. And soon as he knew, you know, he was like, oh, eight, my respect. You one of the you you one of the legends. Say no more. Um, same thing with Dave East. A lot of the dudes I had called up just on the aspect of my longevity in hip hop and the respect. So as soon as I got on the phone with him, it was like, oh, say no more. 
send the beat and you'll have a song back in two days. And that's what it went like for everybody on the project from Conway to Davies to Talib Kweli to Yuck Mouth to, to even with Primo. You know, I'm like, Primo, I need you to mix. Can you mix the record and, and put some scratchings on it? And he was like, okay, send it to me. I'll get it back to you next week. And so that's how I approach lessons. I wanted to show that I can transition into the musical, how people expected me and stay in the musical aspect and not go to the simpler side. Uh, take it back to where I grew up with music, try to get more musical, not try to deal with what's going on today as the gimmicky music or whatever. Um, and then uh, to show that I could uh, engage with the new school of hip hop by getting down with dudes like Conway and Davies, but then going back to dudes that are familiar to my era, like a Yuck Mouth or a Noble or a Havoc from Mob Deep, you know? And then I, I reached out to the East Coast, you know, like I said, I got what, four cats from the East on my project, yeah. from Talib, Havoc, Dave and Conway. And then if you want to throw in Primo, um, I grew up on East Coast uh, rap. That was my foundation for rap, man. I grew up on Just Ice and BDP. And, and I grew up on uh, uh, Kumo D. And, and and fucking, you know, that type of music, man. Yeah, yeah. Third bass and, and I mean, I listen to everything. I, I, like I said, I just love hip hop. So when it came to doing lessons, I wanted to give people MC8, so to speak. But then I wanted to show people that we can, you know, make this record enjoyable and not, uh, you know, try to venture off and become gimmicky and try to do what everybody else is doing just to exist in hip hop. Yeah. Uh, my fans are based on what brought me to this point. So I feel that you have to stick to the same format. Don't, don't, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, so to speak. But you give them a little bit of new and show them your transition that you can do music or you can hang with the new generation or whatever. So that was my, uh, that was my uh, idea for coming up with lessons and the guest appearances and the production and all that. I just wanted to give people some of that old school feel. It's, it's, it's certainly authentic and it's, yeah. it's true to who you are. So I, I would give that. Chris, before I let you get into your one, I, I've got to, I've just, I, we spoke about it off air and I want to say it again. I can't, I can't get that 83 out of my head. Like I can't, you've got to understand. I was, I was listening to lessons. I've got a newborn, right? And I keep telling you on the podcast, wow. I've got a newborn. So I'm lying down on the sofa downstairs. She's sleeping, right? So I'm listening to lessons. It's like maybe one, two o'clock in the morning. Or I think it was on Saturday. And I was listening to it, I was, like, I was dozing off, and I was like, this joint's bad. Is this, is this music to drive by, or is this like, we, we come strapped? I, I, was like, I took my title, I was like, no, this is Lessons. And I was like, this song, and you're chilly, obviously there's a connection there, but like, that song feels so timeless, that this project feels so timeless. And I think that hearing you talk about how much of a fan you are of rap, uh, and, and it's, it's apparent, like, you've made a project hip-hop fans will love but that song oh my lord hey i can't begin to tell you bro i'm standing now it's such a it's a jam and i've just got to say that it's it's very few songs that make me feel this way because I'm, I'm i'm skeptical but that song right. is it's 
I'm telling you, it's an incredible song. It's an incredible song, so salute to you. Good luck. See, that's what I appreciate, when you can make songs that resonate with, you know what I'm saying? Like, oh, man, that's just my song. You know, oh. everybody, everybody has a preference, you know what I'm saying? And I'm just glad that with Lessons, there's a song that people can resonate to because a lot of people are, a lot of people like that 83. Is some uh, the dude who uh, my man Rob T, who uh, mastered the record, he calls me every other day, and just and just like that eighty three, eighty three. Oh my goodness, it is. That's the, that's the song. So you know that that's one of those songs that's gonna resonate with people for a minute. So yeah. that's a good look. I jumped. I jumped on your live yesterday just to tell you that. Good looking, man. Good looking. <laughs> All right, now I'm stand. I'm stand out now. Go on, Chris. All right, you know when you talk about you know your favorite songs, I'm gonna backtrack a bit. Um, which ways? Which ways west? Right. You got a song on there called "Got That." Oh, right. That song right there makes me feel so, um, in a good way, aggressive. Like I wanna. Right. I'll, I'll run for an hour on the treadmill because it's, of that it's song. a gym thing. It's a gym. Yeah. Thing. But what I love is how, you know, we, we've just highlighted how your musical palette is so wide. Right. Uh, and it seems like your production choices are reflected because in recent years, you've, you've worked with Brink Sinatra, um, Austria, correct me if I'm wrong. And right, right. my first time hearing about Furhan C, who's from right. the Netherlands. Right. How does someone from Compton connect with these guys and what attracted you to their sounds? Well... A lot of guys don't get, you know, that shot or a lot of guys don't get that recognition. And, you know, with me, you know, I got fans, Instagram, Facebook, whatever. And a lot of people don't take the time to connect with fans or with just people in general. But I make it a point to connect with the regular person. So when I'll be on Facebook or Instagram or whatever and guys hit me up, you know, I get a thousand dudes hit me up. Hey man, I got beats, I got beats, I got beats. It's just sometimes, it's particular dudes that I just pull out of the pack because it's just something about them, you know. Or I might go to their page and I might hear something and I'll be like, okay, he, he he's almost there. Those are the dudes I work with. So with Furhan, um, he hit me up one day and was like, you know, I make beats and I just happened to be like, all right, email me something. And he sent me a batch of beats and, you know, I heard a little something and I said, okay, this dude got potential. So I just kept working with him. Okay. Send me something else. And then he, he'll ask me something and I'll be like, okay, take this out and add this and then send it to me. And then he'll do that. And when you're willing to do that, it lets me know your hunger and your your love for wanting to commit to the service of making good music. So I've been working with him and a couple of other cats from over there. Uh, shout out to Furhan and my boy D Ace from the Netherlands. Um, they just started sending me tracks and then, you know, they were open for suggestion, you know. I'd be like, change this and then put that in or let me hear that. And then once they started doing that, they started figuring out MC8, you know, and that's just out of pure hunger for wanting to get ahead as far as getting noticed because they're, they're probably trying to 
get their sound noticed or get get out there, you know, to connect with a uh, efficient, you know, or sustainable artist. And it's kind of hard because, you know, it's it's a million dudes that produce, just like it's a million dudes that rap. So it's kind of hard to get your stuff out there. And that's just like I say, so I try to connect with, you know, dudes that aren't as popular as the up and or the or the producer at the time, the dude who might be the popular. I will deal with somebody who's no name or underground because they have that hunger and they have that love for hip hop that they really want to craft their style. So that's what started happening with Furhan. Uh, he started he started filling my sound out. Not that he's not a qualified producer, but sometimes producers, when they get on a certain kick, their 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 style becomes one sided. You know what I'm saying? Like a lot of his music was New York sounding, you know, and that's probably because he hadn't dealt with a lot of West Coast artists. You know what I'm saying? So when we started working, it was just about figuring what MC8 likes. And once he got it down packed, Furhan could send me some shit right now to this day. And it's automatic because he knows my style and he knows my sound now. I'm not just a simple beat drum snare type of rapper. I like musical. I like you to really get, you know, cinematic with your with your music. So he's one of the cats that has come a long way. And that's why I give him the opportunity to do a lot of my production because he's hungry and he has that lust and that thirst for wanting to produce good music. Mm. And sometimes it's not about who you are, where you come from. It's just about what you got inside and your appreciation. And he appreciates good hip hop. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's really good though that you, you give these guys a shot because what happens is now I'm now a fan of Brink Sinatra through you. And now exactly. seeing yeah. Furhan see, I'm like, okay. Um, I went on his website today and I'm like, you know, I'm gonna I'm definitely gonna check for him because it helps when someone who you look up to musically brings in someone new and it keep it keeps things sounding fresh. And I think, you know, out of all the producers out there, for you to find these guys, your ear as a producer is is yeah. is still top notch. So kudos on that. Good luck. That's one thing you got to have. You know, you got to be able to experiment and look outside the box. And that's one thing about me. Uh, even, you know, I can hear something that's not even whole produced. I can, you could can just play me a drum riff. You could play me a bass line with a string chord to it or whatever. And from there, I know what the vision is and what you can create. So mm. shout out to all the producers out there, all the up and coming producers, all the dudes that's hungry, stay hungry. You know, it, it's a, it's a, it's a process, man. It's a grind. But if you own your grind and you can come up with quality music, you will be heard. Definitely. Definitely. Hey, I have one more question for you. Um, and it's really important for me to ask you this as an OG, you've seen a lot of changes in the music business. Well, you've also seen a lot of changes in the world around you. Um, living in London, we see a lot of gentrification happening. London has changed. Um, I'm hearing it's similar in Compton in recent years. Yes. What have you seen in Compton? And when did you see it that made you think, oh, snap, things are changing in terms of gentrification? I mean, a lot of it. I mean, we've seen, you know, we've seen Starbucks and high-rise buildings come in. We've seen... We've seen, you know, condos and the changing of stores and people who walk the streets, you know, when you when you get to seeing, you know, 
um, when you get to seeing people of different races walking their dogs in the neighborhood, stuff that never used to happen. When you start seeing fancy coffee shops and, and different, you know, different stores on different aspects of how you used to live and what you used to grow up to, then you know that the times are changing. I mean, it's been, a, it's been going on. I mean, it's what they've been trying to get to happen. They want to move the, they want to move the foundation of the city out and bring in and raise the property up and try to change the culture but you know we have to stand up for that and that's why we do protesting and that's why we do a lot of trying to uh back each other and support each other as far as in minority businesses and all that because without us there would be no foundation of compton and what it turned to and what the people known it for you know forget what happened back in the 40s and 50s you know Compton got its name because of the diverse people and the minorities that were there. So we have to be able to support each other. So that's what we're trying to do, you know, uplift, bring in more black businesses, bring in more minority owned businesses, and just try to support each other on that aspect, you know, because you can't stop it. It's happening. And as far as the gentrification, it's happening, you know, so we just have to be able to stand up and fight it and just support our own people with that and try to keep our own people in the loop you feel me definitely agreed hey I'm, I'm all out of questions but i know sumi has a burning fan question he wants to ask you to close up it's very it's a very simple one it's just will we ever see a war zone album war zone i mean i still talk to cam i still talk to goldie um war zone was a project that um we were dealing with Snoop at a time, and it was an idea that came uh, together by, you know, myself, Cam, Goldie, Snoop. Uh, um, we got we had a whole album. It's still on the shelf. Will there ever be a Warzone project? If it is, it'll probably be constructed by us as individuals, me, Cam, and Goldie. I mean, we could probably sit down and come to the table and and light that fire back up. So. And that that's that that would be a good idea in the future. So yeah. if I if I could bring that for you, then I'm gonna put that in the work. So <laughs> let's see if that can happen. I got you. Thank you. Thank you. No, just listen. Go, ahead, go on, go on, Chris. Go on, Chris. Go on, go on, go on. I just want to say though, are we, are we finished with the question summit. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. This is the flowers part. MC8. Um, we want to salute you and we want to thank you for all your contributions. Um, I say this to all the legends we speak to and all the OGs. We don't want to wait for you no longer to be here to give you your flowers. You are a legend. Uh, you are a, a, an author of classic, classic music. You have multiple classics. And I want to say that the genre and culture of hip hop, music, culture, and politics wouldn't be the same without you. And um, you're a big inspiration behind what we do, even as podcasters. So we want to thank you. We cannot wait for you to come back to the UK. And when you do come back, yep. we'll some fish and chips or something. You know, <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. I, I need my fish and chips, so don't trip. <laughs> so, soon as soon as this pandemic over, I'm sure I'll be over there touring for a lesson. So be on the lookout, man. I'll be over there real soon. Appreciate you. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. MCA on the Breaking Outs podcast. That was good. That was good. Flexing, man. Listen, the way he was talking about music to drive by and we come strapped and, and the cinematic nature of his music. That's why I asked the last why I asked the first question about like the sound, because I really want to like, I know it's very much different to G funk and everything else that you would 
anything else you would think would come out of the West Coast, mm-hmm. MCA, Compton Most Wanted were always like, uh, were very different in that. But now yeah. it makes sense that his, the way in which he envisaged music is very much like any kind of musician. And, and we were talking about jazz musicians, right? How they can, they can play different instruments, like in, in his head and the way he could just hum a, hum a riff or, 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 or hum a guitar chord or, and, and, and then visualize that. Like that is incredible. That is, that's, that's not human-like. You know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. not a lot of people can do that. I just want to say, I just want to say in it, you're actually repeating what he just said though, in it? Sorry. It's okay. But I also noticed something in that interview. Go on. We didn't get one G or G out of him. Not one. Maybe it's not the right time for us. No, you listen, it's just grown man talk. It was just Damn. grown man talk. Lessons is a, is a new project that's out. Support um, that. Support that. So it's, it's, um, I never thought I would want to get up, get dressed, drink some wine, put on some hard bottom shoes and have a night on the town with my wife under the moonlight to an MC8 song. That's crazy. Yeah, man. That 83 is crazy. Uh, thanks to Matt. We love and support you and salute you. As always, you can follow us on social media at Break the Atoms, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram on every single podcast platform. Just search Breaking Atoms. We'll be back with another episode. Peace. Peace. <laughs>